Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Professor Tom Wright tells the story of visiting the Holy Land in a party of around 20. And on a lovely spring morning going to Lake Galilee, the lake glistening in the morning sunshine. At the lake, their guide had arranged for a local fisherman to bring a small boat to an inlet just west of Capernaum. Then, leaving Wright and the others on the shore, the guide and the fisherman rowed out into the middle of the inlet. Whereupon, the guide stood up in the boat and in a clear voice, without needing to shout, read this passage from Matthew chapter 13 and reading at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Wright tells of the electric effect this passage had as the words came across the water, crisp and clear in the morning air, and they imagined a much larger crowd than them listening to another voice from another boat around 2,000 years before, the voice of Jesus, the voice of God. The Sunday before last at the evening service, we were working in groups, and in our group, one of our members reminded us of the powerful effect the reading of the Word of God can have in the context of a service of worship. These were wise words, a reminder to me of whose word it is I am hearing as a passage of Scripture is read. It is the Word of God. In the specific case of Matthew 13, which I invite you to turn to now, the words of Jesus. Jesus the Word of God. He who was God, who was with God in the beginning. And therefore, as we listen to these words, His words, His teaching, they are worthy of the closest attention. And His teaching in this instance is about the kingdom of God. Or as Matthew has it, using a Jewish idiom, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven Matthew 13 is all about the kingdom, all about kingdom parables. And the importance of this message is underscored by its positioning in the gospel. 
There are five blocks of teaching in Matthew, held by many to mirror the five books of the Torah in Jewish Scripture. And Matthew 13 is the third block. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom has been given a central spot, highlighting its importance. The kingdom is of crucial importance. And so, unsurprisingly, when we examine the Gospels, we see that Jesus talks about the kingdom all the time. But what is it? What is it like? In Matthew 13, the kingdom is described as like seed being sown, like wheat growing among weeds, like a tiny seed and a tree, like yeast in dough, like hidden treasure, like a peril of great price, like a net let down into the lake. The kingdom, says Matthew, is what it is like where God the King is at work. Matthew 13 presents us with kingdom teaching, the teaching of Jesus, telling us what it is like where God the King is at work. When that happens, the word is heard, but... Growth will take place, but treasure is found for the taking, but the word, God's word, is heard, but not all will have ears to hear. Did you hear me? My granny used to say. Now, my granny and I both knew I had heard her. She was standing right in front of me. And despite her diminutive stature, Granny never did any problems at all in making herself heard. <laughs> that wasn't the issue. Granny was looking for a response. She was looking for action. She was looking for me to do what I'd been told. Blessed are you whose ear, blessed are you, sorry, blessed are your ears, because they hear, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 19. They have heard and done something about it. They have heard and followed. In Matthew 13, to hear properly is to do something about what you've heard. But there's more to it than that. We read again from Matthew 13 and at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, so whoever has will be given more, and he, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart 
has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Why are you teaching in parables, the disciples ask? Why are you making people think rather than giving them the answers? You can almost hear the frustration. But Jesus is seeking a response. He uses the parables as a filter to identify those open to the transformational spiritual truth he brings, the good news of the kingdom. But not all will have ears to hear. Soberly, Jesus says, some will be like those in the time of Isaiah. This people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Jesus draws a dramatic distinction between the disciples and these folk he describes. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, he says to the disciples, has been given to you but not to them. Not all will have ears to hear. As the parable of the sower, which Jesus now goes on to explain, illustrates. We turn again to God's word, and we read from verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is a man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Where the kingdom is, where God the King is working, God's word will be heard. The seed will be sown, but not all will have ears to hear. As the seed of the word is sown, the evil one comes and snatches it away from those who do not understand the message of the kingdom. To understand in biblical terms is to have more than an intellectual grasp of the message. There is all the difference in the world from being a hearer of the word and from being a doer of the word. The word that is only heard is easy prey for the devil. 
hear from Jesus' own lips. We have the affirmation of the reality of spiritual conflict, the truth voiced in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. In the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which I would encourage you to read or reread, Lewis graphically conveys the reality of this struggle, the reality of the evil one who snatches away the seed of the word. Some hear, but there is no understanding. Like seed on a path, there is no penetration, and so no possibility of growth. Others seem to have heard. But when the gospel starts to make demands on them, when troubles come, they quickly show that the seed of the word never really went down to become rooted in their hearts. This is a seed that falls on rocky places. Such folk are not rooted in Jesus Christ. Sadly, their faith is shallow. They have no root in Jesus and so fall away. Some others really seem to have a deep-rooted hearing of the word, but they allow other things to take root in their hearts as well. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and like thorns, these things choke the life out of the plant of the word, so that increasingly the call of the word, the comfort of the word, the challenge of the word is not heard as the things of the world dominate. In the words of the hymn we are shortly to sing, it is wise to ask, is this world's empty glory costing me too dear? But then there are those who do have ears to hear, who do understand those who are doers of the word, such as those produce a crop, bear fruit. What's that like in the life of the believer? Some of you will remember the Fruitfulness and Frontline course we did a few years back. And as we looked together at that, we discovered that to be fruitful was to be characterized as follows, to be a model of God's character, to make good work, to minister grace and love, to mold culture, to be a mouthpiece, a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and to be a messenger of the gospel. This is to be the effect on a life when God's word is heard, understood, and obeyed. God's word is to have an effect on our life if we are hearers of the word, in the biblical sense of the word, God's word has to have an effect on our lives. Where God is king, where God is at work, God's word is heard. But not all have ears to hear. The parable demonstrates that. But some do. Some do have ears to hear. 
Is that what it's like in our life? Do we have ears to hear? Are we growing as Christians? Is there evidence of growth of the things of God in our lives? Are we consciously concerned to develop as Christians, to deepen our discipleship? In spiritual terms, what kind of harvest are we producing? We stand to sing Mission Praise 628. Tell me the old, old story. Mission Praise 628. The kingdom where God is king, where God is at work, where the word is heard, where growth will take place, but so too will judgment. We read again, beginning at verse 24, Matthew 13, 24 to 35. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that the woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Where God is king, where the word is heard, where, as Bruce said last week, God's rule is breaking in. Growth will take place. Each of these three parables, the wheat and the weeds, the mustard seed and the yeast, tell us that growth will take place. Even in the face of the opposition of the evil one, as depicted in the parable of the weeds. Growth will take place. In our increasingly secularized society, where the church of God is marginalized, the word of God disparaged, the reality of God disbelieved, is that not a great encouragement 
to the people of God, where the word of God is heard by those with ears to hear, growth will take place. The growth of God by His Spirit in His people's life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the characteristic of Jesus growing in His people. The fruit of the Spirit, what we are studying on Wednesdays at Refresh. Come along and grow a little. Grow a little more like Jesus. And, by used by, and be used by Him in the growth of the kingdom. Fix your eyes on Him. Fix your thoughts on Him. Contemplating passages that Karen so wonderfully illustrated, the parable of the yeast and the flower. Contemplate that, the parable of the yeast, the reality of a little working through the whole to great effect. Pray and ponder that parable. Could that be us? Could that be us? Could we be the yeast in the dough or the flower that is Uddingston? Such dramatic effect may not be our present experience. And the soil of Scotland in these days may be hard. But these parables of the mustard seed and yeast do speak of amazing Greek growth and the capacity of the gospel to affect real change. And when we look out on the world, we see evidence of such growth. Where in insignificant beginnings, great growth, incredible growth, amazing growth comes. China is a prime example of this. A relatively tiny, tiny church remained as all the missionaries were expelled, as the communists took control. Yet today, a church of millions upon millions. We should rejoice in such growth in the majority world. Be challenged by it and seek to support it by our prayers and giving. Rejoicing in the knowledge that where God is king, where God is at work, where the seed is being sown, there will be growth. But so too will there be judgment. What the, what the major parable in this section teaches us is that such growth ends in a harvest and the division of the wheat and the weeds. The wheat to the barn, the weeds to the fire. But note, this is governed by God. In the face of weed sprouting as a result of the activity of the enemy, the servants say, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, they are told, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. God's kingdom does bring division, and that division will be final. But its full outworking is for God to bring about. 
The servants want to go straight away into the cornfield and root out the weeds. The owner restrains them because life is never that simple. In their zeal to rid the field of weeds, they are very likely to pull up some wheat as well. Wait, says the owner, who of course in the parable represents God. Wait, says God, rushing to judgment, taking precipitate action, seeking to do God's job for him can cause unforeseen harm. This parable tells us to wait, wait for God to judge. It's for him and him alone to do so. We read again at verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, No one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The one and only living God, who in Jesus Christ gave himself for us, is revealed in Scripture as supremely loving, wise, beautiful, holy, just, and true. When we read such sobering judgment scenes as this one in Matthew 13, it is these attributes of God we have to keep in mind to help us guard against caricatures of God. Caricature one. God is a monster who would happily consign most of his beloved image-bearing creatures to eternal fire. Caricature two, that God is an indulgent grandparent, determined to spoil the grandchildren rotten by letting them do whatever they like and still giving them sweets at the end of the day. We must resist the second caricature as firmly as the first Given the events of the 20th century that have continued with horrific regularity into the 21st, the Holocaust being a prime example, anyone who does not see there is such a thing as serious and vicious evil in the world is, I fear, deluding themselves. And if things are to be put right, then this evil has to be confronted and dealt with has to be judged and not in the abstract but in the lives of those who have perpetrated such evil and what the bible tells us is that it is not only large-scale and obvious wickedness which will face god's judgment 
We will be judged, the Bible tells us, for every idle word we utter. And earlier in Matthew's gospel at chapter 5, not only murder is condemned, but character assassination. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Are Jesus' own words in Matthew 5 and verse 22. And such judgment will inevitably bring division, characterized by the wheat and the weeds. A judgment that will end with the righteous, those who receive by grace the righteousness of Christ, shining like the sun. For all others, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this judgment, as the explanation of the parable tells us, is delegated to the Son of Man, to Jesus, who will send out his angels to weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. For the God who in Jesus Christ gave himself for us, the God revealed in Scripture, a supremely loving, wise, beautiful, holy, just, and true, cannot be in the presence of sin. Cannot tolerate it. In the way that a person who has a violent allergic reaction to something cannot tolerate that. Where God is, sin cannot be. Kingdom teaching. The teaching of Jesus. Telling us what it is like where God the King is at work. Growth will take place. Irresistible growth. Due to irresistible grace. But so too will judgment. The explanation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds leaves us in no doubt of that. They who have ears to hear, let them hear. We stand again to sing Mission Praise 1072. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Mission Praise 1072. Kingdom teaching, the teaching of Jesus, telling us what it's like where God the King is at work. Where that happens, the word is heard, but not all have ears to hear. Growth will take place, but so too will judgment. Treasure is to be found for the taking, but only if we understand its true worth. We read the last part of our passage. Starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Life for the day laborer is hard. He leaves home just as day is dawning. He comes back dog-tired, his shoulders bowed just as the last rays of the sun are disappearing. With no land of his own, he spends his day plodding up and down another man's field behind the plough and oxen. Day follows day of hard, unremitting slog. There is no alternative. He is a family to feed. But then, this day, suddenly there is a loud clink of metal on metal as the plough cuts through the earth. He bends down and starts digging with his hands. And there it is, gold, glittering gold. His heart is pounding. He can't believe what he sees. There's lots of it, coins, bangles, brooches. Quickly he shovels the earth back to cover up his discovery and runs home joyful. There as his astonished family looks on, he rushes around collecting everything of value, everything. And an hour later, he stands at his master's door, heart in his mouth and money in his hand, buying the field. Life for the pearl merchant is quite different. No dirt, no grime, no slog. As he walks through the marketplace, his long robes swishing behind him. He is rich, seriously rich, with rings on almost every finger. But pearls are his passion. And this day in the market, there it is. The most perfect pearl he's ever seen. One beside which all others that he has handled seem cheap imitation. In a flash, fingers are clicked, servants are summoned, and porters come running. All his goods are sold to willing buyers, and he walks home with no flowing robes, clutching the precious, faultless pearl in his ringless hand. Why focus in this way in these two short parables? Because they take us to the very heart of the passage, the very heart of kingdom teaching, the very heart of the kingdom. Two men at opposite ends of the social spectrum. Their experience of life, very different, but they are bound together by their preparedness to sell everything, to gain a treasure, to gain the kingdom. This is what the parables teach the teaching of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And of course, at the heart of the gospel is Jesus, the pearl of great price. Kingdom teaching, where God the king is at work, treasure is to be found and is there for the taking, there for everyone. The characters in the parables underscore that. Top of the pile or bottom of the heap, it makes no difference. The treasure is there for the taking. For all who understand its true worth, understand its proper value, understand that there is nothing that can compare with the joy of finding this treasure, the joy of finding the kingdom, the joy of finding Jesus. To belong to the kingdom is to belong to Jesus, is to recognize him as Savior and Lord. Is Jesus our treasure? Is he our pearl of great price? Is he 
our Lord and Savior, the one who is worth more to us than all else. The peril, the treasure, is the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus was announcing and embodying. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked in verse 51. That question asked of the disciples is now asked of everyone who reads these words. Have you understand? Have you understood these things? Have you understood what is at stake? Have you understood what the new treasure is? Have you understood its true worth? Have you understood that all else is as nothing beside it? And that treasure is the theme of the latter part of the chapter. It's signaled by the fact that the word is there in verse 44 and then reappears again in the last verse of the passage where we read of new treasures brought out with the old. The old things are the ancient stories and hopes of Israel encapsulated in the Old Testament of whom Jesus is the fulfillment, a reoccurring theme in Matthew's Gospel. The teaching of the kingdom brings the old and new together in Jesus Christ. He who's coming begins the process of final judgment already alluded to in the parable of the wheat and the weeds and once again repeated in the parable of the net. Repeated to underscore its crucial importance. A judgment that will sharply divide people into two camps. Those bowled over by Jesus. Those who resist and reject his gospel. The good fish will be kept. Kept by Jesus. The bad fish will have to be discarded. The teaching of the kingdom. What it's like where God is king, where God is at work. Where God is at work, the word is heard, but not all have ears to hear. Where God is at work, growth will take place because glory to his name, he is God but so too will judgment. But always bear in mind the treasure. Always bear in mind the treasure. Always bear in mind the peril of great price who came that we might be saved that judgment. Where God is at work, treasure is to be found for the taking, the greatest of treasures, the peril of great price, the the imperishable riches of grace to be found in Jesus Christ, but only if we understand his true worth. Only if we understand he is the peril of great price. Only if we understand that there is salvation in no one else. Do you understand this, said Jesus? Do we? Do we understand this? Amen. As the offering comes forward,
we remain seated and sing Mission Praise 251. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Mission Praise 251. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.